It's the Code St. Luke Telephone Broadcasting Service and Podcast for Monday, November 30, 2020, Episode 175. On today's episode, a conversation with Irish authors Liz Nugent and Rachel Ryan. To get the conversation started, here is Danielle Belanger of the Code St. Luke Public Library. Good afternoon, everyone. Librarian Danielle Belanger here from the Cote St. Luke Public Library. Today we have a very special program for you. The library is honored to host a live conversation with not one, but two Irish thriller writers, namely Rachel Ryan and Liz Nugent. Here's how today's interview, interview I'm sorry, will unfold. I'll begin by briefly introducing Rachel Ryan and we'll discuss her debut novel, The Woman Outside My Door. Right after this, my colleague, librarian Jennifer Eisman, will do the same with Liz Nugent, and they'll discuss her latest novel, Little Cruelties. Once both authors have been interviewed, we'll leave some time for a question period at the end. So I would ask that you please hold your questions until the end. Thank you very much, both to Liz and to Rachel from joining us all the way from Ireland, as well as to Adria at Simon & Schuster Publishing for making today's program possible. Here is a brief bio of Rachel. Rachel Ryan was born and raised in Dublin, Ireland. She can usually be found writing in coffee shops, hanging around libraries, or walking the streets of Dublin, making up stories. The Woman Outside My Door is her first novel. Follow her on Instagram at, at Rachel Ryan Writer. Thanks so much for being here. Uh, please tell us a little bit about yourself and about Ireland and about your book. So yeah, my name's Rachel. Hi, thank you so much for having me. It's really exciting to be here. Um, as you were saying, I'm a debut novelist. This is my first book. So it's all very new and exciting to me. Um, I wrote, I was writing scary, spooky, twisty psychological thrillers for a while before my amazing agent picked up The Woman Outside My Door. And the last year has been an absolute whirlwind as I went from being totally unknown and unpublished to being internationally published. So yeah, it's been crazy. That's wonderful. Congratulations, uh, Rachel. I really enjoyed your book. And uh, for those of you at home, here is the cover, The Woman Outside My Door. I was fortunate enough to receive an advanced reader's copy uh, from the publisher. Uh, but I know that our library uh, will have it very, very shortly if we don't already have it in our shopping cart. Um, so. Something I wanted to speak about, Rachel, was uh, what I love the most about your book was how cinematic it felt. I really threw out the novel as I was reading. I could visualize uh, what you were writing about. Was, was that part of your intention? That's an amazing compliment. It's really nice to hear you say that. Um, I think I'm a very visual writer. Uh, I see things in great detail and in a lot of color. And I'm trying, when I'm writing, I'm always trying really hard to create 
a kind of a movie in the writer's head, in the reader's head, and to draw the reader through the story. And of course, that's a collaborative process because you give the reader just the right amount of detail and then they fill in the blanks with their own imagination, which is what I think makes reading such an incredible thing. It's part you and part the reader working together to create the images in their head. But yeah, I had very, very vivid images in my head, writing the woman outside my door. I could see the characters like the little kid, Cody, for example. There's a seven-year-old boy in the novel for anyone who hasn't read it. And he's a key character um, and he's a very strong personality. And I could see him so vividly. Like I could see his hair color and his big eyes. Like if I, if I try, I could see him right now. So yeah, it's great to know that that worked and moved off the page and into your brain. Thank you, Rachel. So as you said, maybe I'm just going to give a brief synopsis to those listening at home of your story. Georgina recently lost her mother and is distraught about the way her son Cody is grieving. He now has what appears to be an imaginary friend he refers to as new granny, which is making Georgina not only extremely uneasy, but also making her question her own sanity. She doesn't know if it's because she's overworked and exhausted trying to keep up with her busy schedule's demands, or if there's actually something more sinister at play. Her husband, Bren, tries to be the voice of reason and reassure her that this is a perfectly normal reaction for a child to have, and that they should simply let him grieve in his own way. So it's a great story, Rachel. How did you come up with uh, this idea, this concept? Thank you. Um, I came up with the concept. It's funny, I could point to you the exact street I was on and the exact place I was at in the street. Like I could put a pin in the place I was when the idea for this book came to me. It came to me very fully formed. I saw the first chapter and I saw the arc of the story and it just popped into my head. And I think like all ideas, bits of it had been marinating and floating around, but it came to me as a full piece the the idea for it just kind of popped into my head I was walking home it was late one night it was dark and again I could tell you exactly where I was on the street and I saw the opening chapter I saw the opening scenes of the woman outside my door they just popped into my head I saw Cody I saw his mother Georgina they're they're in a wintry park in the opening pages and I saw the the setting and I saw the plot begin to unravel and I thought oh my god I have to go home and write this I was about 15 minutes away from my house. I had to walk home really, really fast because I felt like, I don't know if you know this feeling, but sometimes you feel like you have an idea and you have to grab it and you have to get that idea onto paper or whatever your creativity might be. You have to get that idea down really quickly before it escapes. So I felt like I grabbed the idea on that street and I rushed home with the idea. And if anyone had stopped to talk to me, I would have said, sorry, I can't talk now. I have an idea. I have to get it home. And I ran home with the idea and I sat down at my laptop and I wrote really 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 fast and the opening chapter just came right out of me perfectly formed it's very very similar to how it is now like in the editing process those opening pages remained very true to what I wrote on that night so yeah so I'm so glad you ran home to to begin writing the novel uh because it's wonderful and it really catches you right from the beginning and I have to say I, I grew attached to your characters um, right from the start. And I really wanted to know 
what the story was behind this new granny. Does she exist? Is this something that's happening in Georgina's mind? Um, where did you come up with that idea, whether this is kind of a trick of the mind or an mm -hmm. actual character? So when I was writing The Woman Outside My Door, I was working as a nanny myself. And for most of my 20s, I worked as a nanny. So I would go to work and I would look after kids all day. And then I would come home in the evening and open up my laptop and start writing. Um, and I think that it's, first of all, it's a great job nannying if you're a writer, because, you know, I think it might've been harder for me if I'd been sitting at a laptop for eight hours a day to go home and then sit at a laptop for three or four more hours. But because I was on my feet all day running around after kids, it really helped me to go home and sit at my laptop. So nannying was great for an aspiring creative in that way. But also it gave me a lot of inspiration because I was around kids all day and they're so imaginative and they have these like rich worlds that coexist with our worlds. Um, so in The Woman Outside My Door, obviously the idea of this imaginary grandmother who may be Cody's way of grieving or maybe something more sinister. It may be an, a threat from outside. It may be a threat from inside the family dynamic. It's very hard to tell. But for me, that was definitely inspired by being around kids a lot and seeing how real their imaginary worlds are to them. Like they, they inhabit these other worlds that we can't see. So the idea that in this story, Georgina starts to wonder is it real? Isn't it? Where is the line? When do you start worrying about your child's imaginary friend? That's kind of the crux of the woman outside my door. So I really loved the way you portrayed uh, Cody, the child, because he wasn't, he, he was very attached to his parents. You could, you could tell he had a very close bond with his mom and with his dad too, with different relationships. But he had his moments, and I was going to ask you if that was based on maybe a child or your experience, where he just had these fits of, I hate you, throughout the book. So mm -hmm. was this based on a child you knew or on an I think, idea? I think a lot of Cody, a lot of Cody's character came from two kids in particular. I hope their guardians won't mind me saying that. I love those kids. I'm still um, friends with the family, so spend a lot of time with the kids. Um, I looked after two boys in my first ever nannying job um, and they both had such strong personalities and such very different personalities. And there's, I think, little bits of Cody came from watching them. They have so much agency. You know, I, I really wanted Cody to be a character who had agency and I wanted his agency to push the plot forward. And I wanted him to be a fully developed character because I was spending so much time with these two little boys and they both had so much personality and so much character. So it was really important to me when I was writing The Woman Outside My Door that the kid wasn't just there to make the grown-ups feel something. I didn't want him to be just a plot device. I wanted him to be a fully formed character in his own right because children are fully formed characters in their own right. And I definitely learned that from spending a lot of time with them. So yeah, Cody has a really strong personality and uh, it was really fun to write. How did you come up with the idea for Bren's character? I had a few questions about his, um, this character in particular, I felt as though constantly as a reader, we were questioning his intentions, his integrity. Uh, 
Was that something that was intentional? I wanted Bren to feel like a very complicated, multifaceted character. Um, in some ways, I sometimes wonder if Bren is maybe the most layered and developed character in the story because we get to see a lot of different sides of his personality throughout the book. Um, and some of that was based on my own relationships. Um, some of it was based on... Wow, that's, it's actually funny to talk about. Some of it was based on having known people in my life who were quite patronizing towards me. Brown can be very patronizing towards his partner at times. Um, so yeah, I think he's a very layered character, but because of the nature of the plot of The Woman Outside My Door and because it's quite trippy and blurry and the lines between reality and this ima possibly imaginative world are very blurred. I was also trying to use the kind of very multifaceted, layered elements of Brand's character to create a sense of uncertainty. And I think there's a big sense of uncertainty throughout The Woman Outside My Door. It's, it can be very hard to tell what's going on, very hard to tell what's real and what isn't, who you can trust and who you can't. So in making Brand a very complicated character, I think I was playing into that theme of the story. Thank you, Rachel. I think you achieved that really well, uh, especially there's a scene in the book when Georgina is sort of rifling through the garbage and hiding in the dark. And <laughs> at that point, I'm really wondering, is she doing this? Does she know that she's doing this? Is she in her right mind? Is, is this where you wanted the reader to be when they read this scene? Mm -hmm. Yeah. W one of the things that I was kind of trying to do with the characters in the story is I really wanted them to feel like ordinary people who don't know that they're in a psychological thriller. So I think that a lot of the time their responses to what's happening to them and their responses to their own behavior are hopefully close enough to how we would actually feel like the average person, if you woke up one day and found yourself in the plot of like a dark, twisty psychological thriller, like the woman outside my door. So Georgina quite often finds herself being like, oh my God, is this really happening? Am I really behaving like this? What's going on? And I think that that was kind of fun to do. Parts of the book were hard to write and upsetting and difficult, but some parts of it were really fun. And I think some of the fun parts were the moments where the characters were like, this is crazy. What's happening to me? So I think those are the parts of the characters that just don't know that they're in a psychological thriller. And that's where I always feel like being like, give them a little bit of credit. They don't know that they're in a psychological thriller. They think it's just a normal day. I think that was really fun. It, it sort of lightened the mood somewhat uh, in certain instances in the book because it, it was a very engrossing sort of enthralling page turner where you want to know what happens but you don't want to be on edge throughout the whole novel so I appreciated how you kind of had these moments where they were sort of laugh out loud silly moments also so that was fun uh, can you tell us about the character of Georgina mm -hmm. yeah Georgina is in her early 30s she's a seven-year-old son and she's a very ordinary, I think, woman. She's, she's, I wanted to make her feel like just someone you would meet at the school gate, like a very relatable, recognizable character. Again, because I found it kind of fun to put this 
really like just, you know, average mom into this roller coaster of a psychological thriller and have all this crazy stuff happen to her. So I wanted her to feel really relatable and normal. So I think that until the plot starts taking all these wild turns and Georgina discovers she's in a very fast paced page turnery book that's quite dark and spooky, um, her her concerns are quite normal concerns. You know, she wants to she wants to get a degree and and change the course of her life. She's she's got some jealousies and issues in her marriage. Um, she sometimes feels overwhelmed with just balancing work and housework and studying. She's a very ordinary woman who wakes up one morning and finds that her son has this scary imaginary friend, and she then finds herself in these really creepy situations. So without giving away too many of the twists and turns, because I know some people uh, will want to read your book, so I don't want to give away any anything too major. But for some of the twists later on in the book, um, was there some research involved on your part? And was mm-hmm. this based on actual facts and events that happened? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I had to read some non um some nonfiction books just to make sure that my facts were right for some of the chapters. Again, it's kind of hard to talk about this without giving stuff away, but I didn't do a lot of research when I was writing it because I wanted the first draft to flow and I was kind of in that flow state. But I afterwards, I ordered some books on some of the themes and topics. One, I don't think it's a spoiler to say that mental health plays a role in one point. Um, and I am lucky enough to have a good friend who's a psychiatrist. So I sent her one of the chapters in particular and I was like, can you please look at this and tell me if I've made any glaring mistakes. And she was like, yeah, you've made a couple of mistakes. And um, I took those out. So hopefully those parts are accurate. Um, Yeah, so I feel like I do more research in the editing process because when I'm drafting, I'm very deep in this imaginary world and I don't want to take myself out of it too much. But during editing, there were moments where I was like, that's completely wrong. I got that small detail completely wrong and I had to um, amend those. Okay, thank you for sharing some of that. So you you spoke a little bit uh, at the beginning when we were talking about how the idea came to you and you really had to get it on paper right away. Um, How long would you say it took you to write the book from beginning to end, like in a time period? Wow, let me think. Um, Writing the first draft took me a couple of months, but editing it took me a very long time. Um, I feel like the real work started when I was lucky enough to get signed by my agent. Um, She's an absolute powerhouse of a woman. And it was very much like every, every unpublished writer's wildest dreams. You know, I had no contacts. I didn't know anyone. She picked me up off the slush pile and I had this very rough manuscript uh, which would become the woman outside my door but at that point had a different name and was very unformed and she looked at it and she said you know you've got potential you've got talent this is a great story but you're gonna have to do a lot of editing you know and you're gonna have to work really hard and I was like sign me up so the editing process was a lot of work but it was amazing like it was amazing. I worked with incredible editors, particularly Nita at Simon and Schuster. We, she went so deep into the manuscript with me, and she really helped me turn a story 
that I had, as I said, sort of just thrown onto the page, she really helped me turn that into the, you know, very controlled page turnery compact narrative that is the woman outside my door. So yeah, writing the first draft, not too long. Editing took a bit longer. Well, congratulations. It's an excellent novel. I enjoyed it thoroughly. Um, and I can't wait to, to see what you have in store next, of course, because I finished reading this one, but everyone at home watching now will want to be uh, reading this one. So I have a question about what I was talking to you earlier about, um, the feeling that it's very cinematic. Have you been approached um, to maybe translate this into the small screen or the big screen? Um, I asked my agent not to tell me anything like that, unless it's pretty certain, because... <laughs> I don't even want to think about it but I agree I think I think it's quite cinematic again that's because I'm just a very visual writer and I see everything um really clearly and yeah obviously that would be incredible but um I'm already so excited with the fact that there are just readers reading the woman outside my door that that's where my head is at right now I think if I thought too much about a movie adaptation my brain might explode so <laughs> <laughs> Okay, well, well, that's great to know. Um, I guess because Jen and I have, have covered a few books that were turned into movies, my question is, if, if this were to happen, would you want to be involved in the process to make sure that uh, the film or television version stayed faithful to mm -hmm. your book? I don't think so. Not necessarily, because... My, my personal feeling on adaptations is that it's kind of okay if they grow legs and run away and become something else. Um, the book is its own little creation and were someone to be inspired by that and want to do an on-screen adaptation, I think I'd be quite content if it was their interpretation of the story and if they did something quite different with it because, yeah, I think... I'm good at one thing and I'm going to keep doing what I'm good at, which is getting stories into book shape. I don't know if I'd be good at um, screen adaptations. <laughs> it's a whole different skill set. Perfect. Thank you so much, Rachel. So before we move on to the next author, I'm just going to show you the book cover one more time. The Woman Outside My Door. Uh, by Rachel Ryan. It's her debut novel. It's excellent. I encourage you all to read it. Thank you so much, Rachel. And if there are oh, questions no. for you at the end. Oh, I'm sorry. Will I be gone? Uh, yes, but we may have questions for you at the end. So we're going to disappear. Goodbye, oh. Rachel. Thank you. Until sure. later. And now I will pass the floor over to my colleague, Jennifer Eisman, who's also a librarian, and she will be interviewing Liz Nugent about her book, Little Cruelties. Thank you. And uh, the questions will be after. <laughs> Thanks, Danielle. Good evening, Liz. The community of Co St. Luke is so happy to have you with us today. Uh, let me take a moment to introduce you to our audience for those of you who are not familiar with you. Liz Nugent has worked in Irish film, theater, and television for most of her adult life. She is an award-winning writer of radio and television drama and has written critically acclaimed short stories for both children and adults, as well as the best-selling novels Unraveling Oliver and Lying in Wait. She lives in Dublin, as Danielle has already mentioned, 
And her most recent novels, which we'll be talking about today, is Little Cruelties. You can visit her at lizzenugent.ie or follow her on Twitter at Lizzie Nugent. Uh, congratulations on your latest novel. It is superbly written, I must say. Uh, I, sat, I, read, I read it in two days. That was it. <laughs> From back to finish. And um, it's not normally the type of novel um, that attracts me and it interests me and holds my interest to the end. And it really was superbly, superbly written the way you interwove all the stories. Thank you. Thank oh, you so much. Oh, go ahead. <laughs> no, I just say thank you. Without giving too much away, I just want to give people uh, listening in a brief overview of the novel. Uh, Little Cruelties follows three working class Irish brothers and delves into the many ways family can wreak emotional havoc across generations. It's a book about William, Brian and Luke, three boys born a year apart, trained uh, from birth, you can say, by their mother, their wily mother to compete for her attention. They play games as brothers do, yet those games, those little cruelties, if you will, grow more sinister, maybe a bit more merciless, a bit more dangerous. And at the end, only two brothers will survive. It's been hailed by New York Times bestselling author A.J. Finn as a dark jewel of a novel. So I'd, I'd like to ask you, what was the inspiration behind this? Um, well, I think families are always interesting. And I come from a very large family. I have four brothers and four sisters. And uh, um, I, the, my previous books have been about quite solitary characters. Um, um, Unraveling Oliver had no siblings that he knew of until later on. Um, uh, in... in um, Lying in wait, uh, Lydia had no siblings. Well, she did, but one, spoiler alert, one uh, <laughs> disappeared. And then, so they were, they were solitary characters. So I just decided, okay, let's try and see what the dynamic would be between three brothers. And I wanted to start with a bang. So... I started with the funeral of one of the brothers, but the yes. reader doesn't know which brother it is. And the narrator kind of implies that they got away with it. And mm -hmm. you know that he's one of the brothers. Uh, I think the first line is um, all three of the drum brothers were at the funeral, but one of us was in a coffin. Yes. So you know that one of the, one of these brothers has murdered one of these brothers, but it takes you the whole book to figure out which brother murdered which brother and why. Yeah, it's a very interesting the complexities between uh, between the characters and and the the plot firmly focuses on the relationship between the three brothers yet. Uh, one could argue that the most important character is maybe the mother who sort of, I don't know, maybe leads them down this path. Uh, would you agree with this statement or, or, you know, why do you think she treated them how she did? Like you're talking I, about family dynamics. I think, I think the mother, uh, the, 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 the book really is by the boys, but the mother is certainly shapes their characters very definitely. And uh, she is, um, an influence for good or evil like with her oldest son she tells him he's the most handsome the most brilliant the most 
fantastic, smartest. So he grows up with this sense of entitlement and privilege and thinks that he can kind of treat people how he wants because he's the best and he's, you know, the smartest and the best looking and, you know, and therefore, you know, nothing should get in his way. So he grows up super confident, whereas the youngest brother is treated so differently. I mean, he is told from an early age that he's the runt of the litter. I mean, mm-hmm. it's, it's just unbelievably cruel the way she treats him. And that does get explained um, at the very, towards the very end of the book, why she has treated them so differently. And the middle brother is kind of stuck in the middle between these two, where she doesn't pay particular attention to him, but she doesn't leave him out in the way that she leaves out her youngest son. So I just wanted to explain why these boys turned out the way they did. Mm -hmm. But she she is um they're also all involved in the world of celebrity in some way or another like she's a a, a fading country singer i suppose you you'd call it um in ireland we call them show band singers but uh in in um in canadian or american terms she'd be a, a country singer and her star is um uh beginning to fade as they grow older. So, you know, when her youngest son becomes a pop star overnight, she is just consumed with jealousy. But when her oldest son becomes a a fairly renowned film producer, she could not be prouder. And, you know, it's just her reactions to these boys is so different. But it is explained, as I say. Mm -hmm. Did you, you said you, you've come from a background, like you have siblings and things like that. Did some of these experiences, maybe were you able to draw upon them from your own experiences in order to help sort of flush out some of the, the dialogue and the interactions? Well, none of my brother, none of my siblings are half as bad. (laughs) (laughs) My siblings are lovely. Uh, My brothers and sisters are great. And these characters are pretty awful. Um, uh, bar one they're they're pretty bad so uh, I didn't draw an inference from that but there are there are incidents in the book like the the visit of the Pope to Ireland in 1979 mm-hmm. like a third of the population went to see him at one event and I think he did three events so you know, that's a huge, huge devotion to the Catholic Church, which was not entirely all good, um, as we later found out through church abuse scandals, and that, that the church had a terribly strong hold on the country. Um, so I was at that Mass, and I was um, maybe 10 or 11 years old, at that uh, huge event, at that papal mass. And I was also, uh, there's another chapter that's set at a Bob Dylan concert in 1984 and uh, in a big uh, natural amphitheater. And I was at that concert. So I was able to kind of give a rundown on on what happened there, you know, the events. But, you know, I make up, made up 
the actual story and the characters. But, you know, I was talking from real experience. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You mentioned something very interesting. You, you just said like some of the characters, they're not half as, they're not half as bad. And some of their, um, their actions make it really difficult for the reader to like them at certain points throughout the book. Is this a calculated risk on your part? Like, was it intentional? Because, um, you know, as readers, you, you want people to say, oh, I'm emotionally invested. I, I love this. I'm going to, but they're really, some of them, they, <laughs> they, they were bad. Some of them along the way to each other. Yeah. Oh no, they're, they're they're awful. Funny enough, nearly all of my characters are terrible people in all <laughs> of my books. And um, but I try to make them as compelling as possible, so that yes. people want to follow their stories. They want to find out what happened, and I also explain why they are the way they are. So so that the reader has comes comes to an understanding of of why they behave the way they do um you know but there there are moments of tragedy for all of Mm -hmm. them Mm -hmm. um and moments of betrayal between each other so you know i pull your sympathy from one to the other to the other so you know that there nobody is all good and all bad and Mm -hmm. you know even will has his moments of decency um, in the early years of his marriage and his devotion to his child. Um, uh, and it kind of goes downhill from there for Will. <laughs> but it's not written chronologically, so you will know that. Yes, from, yes, from, yes exactly. But yeah. I, I have to say, I sat down and I read it in two days. It's not the type of novel I normally read. And it, it sort of goes to what you just said, which was... Um, I expected as I would read along, I'm like, oh, they're so bad, but it's so captivating and I'm reading and I read and, and I read it in two days. And I think that's a tribute to you as an author. It's superbly written. You just, you fall into the characters. You want to know what happens. And maybe that's also the hook that, that sort of keeps you coming back and flipping the pages because you want to know, you know, do they get better? Are there those moments of humanity and decency, as you say? Um, fantastically written. And, and it's interesting because you use those uh, three different perspectives. Like there's the chapters that are told from Will's perspective, you know, Luke and Brian. And as you mentioned, uh, Will is this really confident guy. Uh, the youngest child, um, Luke, is a little bit damaged. He's fragile. And for me, as I'm reading along, one of the things I felt was... Um, I didn't really get to know Brian very well. And I wanted to, is that just, was it just me or maybe he was just, um, is that like that middle child who maybe gets lost between the two other children a little bit? Well, the the thing was that uh, I had written a lot about Brian through the eyes of the, of the other two brothers. So when I went, so when I got to Brian's chapters, there, there wasn't a whole lot of story left to be told that you didn't know from the other brothers. But yes. it, with Brian's chapters, you got to hear his side of the story. Yeah. And, yeah. you know, you might have thought that Brian was actually quite a nice guy and quite protective. And then you realize, uh, actually, uh, no, he's, <laughs> he's not so nice either. Uh, he's been taking advantage Yes. Really badly, uh, yes. Of of uh, some situations and um, 
and one of his brother's mental health issues, which is kind of unforgivable. So yeah, there. Yeah, it was. And I think as you say, what 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 hooked me back in was those moments where there was the decency where there was so it sort of comes around a little bit and you're like, oh okay. So you know, maybe it's not all bad. There are these little moments where they even realize, okay, it's a little too cruel. It's a little too it's a little too it's a little too much. Let me you know, there's that moments of decency and humanity. And, and the book really is filled with complex characters. Did you did you have a fra- favorite one or one that developed more easily in the writing process? Uh, Luke was my favorite. <laughs> <laughs> Mine too. <laughs> he's, he's, he's the most damaged and, you know, you always root for the underdog. Um, so, yeah, Luke... Luke um, Luke, I think, would win the heart of most readers in the end, even though even though he is incredibly selfish. I mean, he doesn't he doesn't he he, he doesn't really pay much attention to the to the wants or needs of either of his brothers either. Mm-hmm. Uh, he does in his in his very early years, he goes to a phase of religious zealotry um, where, you know, most awful things happen. He goes to a fancy dress party as Jesus Christ, because he wants to atone for his mother's sins because he's discovered that she's an adulterer. And he's so horrified by this that um, in order to atone for her sins, he wants to um, put stigmata in his hands. So he stabs his hands Mm -hmm. and turns up at this fancy dress party. bleeding from both hands because he's stabbed himself quite badly um uh so you know that that you know how can you not you know feel for a character who's that damaged and that you know Mm -hmm. that underconfident and um and full of self-blame and and but then, you know, as he gets out of that phase, as he goes out of his religious um, phase, he becomes entirely self-obsessed and, and, and selfish. But mm-hmm. it, in a way, it's not his fault. It's his mental health issues mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. that cause that breakdown in empathy. You know, he loses empathy um, as he gets older because his mental health just doesn't allow him to 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 look outside himself much given the subject nature and some of the things you're just describing right now and the many emotions that you delve into into the book was there one part of it that was harder to write or maybe uh a little it took a little bit more out of you to to write them just because you're delving with all those emotions lack of empathy uh, i think i think the 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 sort of the denouement of the story when I'm wrapping it up, when I find out which brother dies, because I didn't know until I got to that part which brother was going to die. I just had to give them each enough reasons to want each other dead. So when they all come together for this glitzy event towards the end of the book, and you, you discover that they all have enough ammunition on each other they all have enough dirt on each other they despise each other so much that they all have really good reasons to kill each other and I like I had a hard time deciding which one was going to end up dead 
and how it was going to happen and the, and the, and the the sort of the mechanics of how it was going to happen were were quite tricky and um involved balcony <laughs> um so uh yeah it was very tricky so that in the end um Oh, I can't say any more actually because I just yeah, no. Yeah, you can't. You can't. But it's so interesting that you're saying that was <clears throat> excuse me a tricky part because in a blink of an eye it's over that part of the story. And yeah. so it's interesting as a writer, um, what you're talking about the processes, and uh, maybe you can elaborate a little bit more on your writing style, your writing process. Was it the same in all your other the, the previous two novels? Is this one like does the plot come first or do the characters come first always character always. oh, <laughs> oh yeah, interesting come first and then and then i <laughs> have the characters make bad decisions and that's where i get my plot um i um i i know the characters inside out before i write a word so i know what newspaper they read i know what way they vote i know whether they drink tea or coffee i know whether they um you know, what should I say, what newspaper they read? I, you know, I know everything. I know if they would, if they're the type to remember their mother's birthday or not, or, you know, if they have to be reminded, you know, all of those things I would know about them. So even though I don't necessarily have to use those in the book, I know them for myself. So I know the characters backwards before I start to write them. And that's very it's very helpful to me, but uh, as for plot, I just make it up as I go along. That's so interesting. I would have thought as the writer, you would have had the plot and then say, okay, I'm going to slip these characters, create the characters into the plot. It's so interesting that you're describing the writing processes as different the other way around. Yeah. I, I mean, like every writer is different, so I'm not recommending that you do this, <laughs> but it just seems to have worked for me. In in uh, I've written actually four novels, um, but uh, it's it's worked for me in every single one of them. Um, the the you know uh, I did not plot. Um, I I might have a rough idea of the ending. Like I knew I knew from the opening when I wrote the opening chapter, I knew that one brother was dead, but mm-hmm. I just didn't know which one it was until I got to that chapter. Um, yeah, so I had to decide, and I had to decide how he was going to die and who was going to kill him. Yeah. Uh, We won't say any more about that. I do have a slight question without giving too much uh, away near the end of the book. Daisy has her own sort of quote unquote moment, if you will. I don't know if you know which one I'm referring to, but one that's remarkably like Luke's. And I I don't know if you meant to imply to the reader that history is sort of going to repeat itself here or, and then it's sort of, and then of course the book ends. So I wasn't, I wasn't sure. Yeah, I I just wanted to, because because a lot of the book is about um, what what you get from your parents, what you inherit from your parents, and from your family. So there's something that Daisy inherits from mm-hmm. members of her from a member of her family, which doesn't bode well for the future. No, no, but we can't give away any more there. Um, I'm being hailed by Danielle. <laughs> um, so I think I, I thank you very much for your time. It's a fascinating read. I really hope everyone 
uh, we'll, we'll pick it up. I actually had a few other questions, but we'll see if we get to them afterwards. Here's the book, if in case anyone's joining us live, Little Cruelties by Liz Nugent. Thank you, Liz. Thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you, Liz. Thank you, Jen. So the program is not over, just to be clear, but I wanted to uh, maybe open up the floor and give the opportunity for our audience members to write in their questions for the authors, either through the chat function on Zoom or the Q&A. Um, but just before that, I'm going to read... Um, a quote by Liz, because Liz is right here, about uh, Rachel's book, because um, we were speaking about little cruelty. So I'm going to take it back now for a moment to the woman outside my door. And Liz says about it, when your husband, your seven-year-old son, and your father are all harboring secrets, who can you trust? A roller coaster of a reed, it never flags. The pace is relentless, resulting in a denouement that will take your breath away. Bravo, Rachel Ryan. So Rachel, that's a great compliment from Liz. Uh, Liz, thank you for saying that about Rachel. Uh, do you two want to discuss that a little bit? That's so nice. And just in response to that, I just want to say, I actually finished um, Little Cruelties recently. And it's so good and it's so enjoyable. And one of the things about Little Cruelties that I didn't hear being mentioned in that chat was, it's so funny. I laughed out loud so many times reading Liz's latest book. The mother in particular cracked me up. She's hilarious. So it's very dark, um, but it's also very, very funny. And that's one of the things that makes it so readable and enjoyable. So I just wanted to say that a bit. Book. Thank you for saying that because so many people talk about my books as being like incredibly dark and they are very dark but I do provide moments of lightness as well and people tend to skip over them so thank you for saying that. Oh, I was laughing out loud. Melissa was an entertaining character to spend time with. I don't think I'd want her to be my mother but she was an entertaining character so yeah it was great. Rachel, uh, earlier I forgot to ask you a question about your book. Um, I, I really enjoyed the way that Dublin itself almost became a character in the book. Can you talk a little bit about that? Thank you for asking. What a great question. <laughs> you know, when there's something that you put a lot of work in, you haven't had a chance to talk about it much. So I haven't had a chance to talk about that much yet. And it was a big part of my process when I was writing The Woman Outside My Door. I'm really influenced by place and I'm really, really influenced by space and I'm I'm obsessed with it really. So I'm from Dublin. Um, I grew up quite near the city centre and I'm completely in love with Dublin, but I, I fall in love with most locations I go to. I'm so interested. So when I was writing The Woman Outside My Door, I really wanted Dublin to feel vivid and real and again, visual. And I wanted the reader to feel like they were walking down the street with Georgina and I wanted it to feel modern because it is modern. It's, you know, a modern psychological thriller set in 2014. So I wanted it to feel urban and current, but I wanted it to be an urban landscape with a gothic twist. So uh, in subtle ways, hopefully I make Dublin feel creepy and dark and eerie and 
unsettling. It's like Dublin, but you're looking at it through a darkened lens. That's what I was going for. And it's it's nice to hear that it um it worked for you. That's lovely. Thank you. Yes, it was great. You definitely achieved that for, for me. Um, I was going to ask you about the candy wrapper. Is this a real candy store in Ireland that you refer to? <laughs> no, it's fictional. So, yeah, at one point in the story, for people who haven't read it yet, Georgina finds some candy wrappers in her son's pocket. And um, they're made by this old fashioned toffee company. And she's a little bit unnerved and later on in the book she finds the same wrapper somewhere else which causes her to believe that somebody has been giving her son candy behind her back um so they needed to be a distinct visual like motif so I made them gold and distinctive um but no they're fictional (laughs) yeah so I just made it up not a real company that would be great (laughs) yes I was thinking if if it were real, if ever I get to Ireland, I visualize them because I have these like um I could visualize the kind of sweets they would be, like these old-fashioned toffees that like are often popular among older people that are done in gold with little twisty bits at the end. Were they original? Yeah, I was just we gonna have say them in Canada also. <laughs> Where there's original is definitely part of the inspiration, but Caffrey's Confectionery is not a real brand. (laughs) Okay, thank you, Rachel. So Liz, I have not read your book yet, I'm sorry, but I have definitely... I dare you, I am so insulted. (laughs) (laughs) When I heard Jen talking about the characters and, and yourself, I've definitely known families where there was this dynamic of the older child, um having been treated much differently than the younger one. And in the family, I won't name names, who I know personally, definitely the child that was treated as though they were gold, uh, somehow in life ended up the best off out of the three siblings. So I can definitely see where you're coming from with, with your choice of, uh, of characters and how, how they fit in and how this affects their outcomes later in life. So it sounds great. I'll definitely put my name down for it. Thank you. I was, I was, uh, I just got the amazing news that yeah, yesterday that um, Little Girl Cheese was chosen by the New York Times as one of their um, most recommended books uh, for 2020. They chose seven thrillers, and uh, Little Girl Cheese was one of them. So um, I. I, I think that's a present from my from my dad. My dad died, passed away two weeks ago. And I oh. think I when I got that news yesterday, I really felt his hand on my shoulder. But it was his gift to me. So no, we're very sorry for your loss, Liz, and, and congratulations on such a huge achievement. I was going to say that's an absolutely huge achievement. Everyone listening in is going to be rushing to the library to put their name on hold for it now. <laughs> well, I hope they pick Rachel, Rachel's book as well, because if they don't, they're missing out on a good one. Get the two of them. Get both. Yes. <laughs> two for one. Thank you. Okay. I'm seeing a comment here uh, in the chat. According to my middle brother, he turned out to the best and he was the most loved. Sorry to disagree with me. Someone in the audience says. 
<laughs> well, I think uh, that according to my middle brother, he turned out the best. And well, it depends how that that person feels. You know, he turned out the best, was the most loved. Oh, I'd say that's a woman. I'd say that's a woman who wrote that because I do find I, I do uh, I have observed that it's mothers and their oldest sons. It doesn't matter if they've had a daughter first. Mothers and their older sons have a, a stronger bond, I think, than 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 uh, than mothers and younger sons or daughters. So I would bet that that. Um, that commenter is female. You are right, Liz. Am I? <laughs> you know, I observe people, I watch and learn. <laughs> so Liz and Rachel, do either of you sort of uh, ever base your characters on people you're observing? Rachel, as we said, you spend a lot of time libraries and coffee shops observing people do the ideas sometimes form just from you watching people and imagining what their life might be I spent a lot of time in libraries and coffee shops before covid now I spend a lot of time at home in my flat yes um, I'm sorry <laughs> I should have specified <laughs> yeah I think I'm a big people watcher um, and I'm really interested in people I think it's hard to write fiction if you're not pretty nosy and pretty um curious about relationships and dynamics um and I'm definitely a person who you know people come to me my friends come to me to talk about relationships and stuff because they know I'm I'm going to be genuinely interested as well as hopefully doing my best to be a good friend and give good advice like I'm not going to be bored like I'm fascinated by what makes people tick and what makes one relationship work and another relationship fail or what makes, you know, what's the best way to help a child feel secure and loved or what you can do unintentionally that makes a child feel less than. All these subtleties of um, human interaction fascinate me. And I personally, I think most of my fiction writing does come from that fascination because there's, you know, in The Woman Outside My Door, there's a lot of complicated plot. But as well as that, there's all this human interaction without giving anything away I think I can say that for me one of the key themes of the novel for me is avoidance that maybe it's hard to pinpoint where that is I don't know but for me if avoidance I was thinking about avoidance when I came up with the plot of the novel I was thinking about what a human thing it is to know there's something you should do but put it off and every day you put it off it gets harder to do it so all those little things that form the human behavior that forms the plot Thank you, Rachel. I, I'm going to pass it over to Jennifer. I, I know she had a question uh, for Liz, and I think our audience is a bit shy, so I'll let Jennifer <laughs> ask the question. I just wanted to ask Liz, what's next on the horizon? Um, in terms of writing, do you, um, when you're writing one book, do you have other little nuggets that sort of percolate on the side and you drop them down for future books? Do you I, I'm yeah, I'm kind of a one at a time kind of person. I can't even think about another book until I've, I've uh, until I've uh, really until the the other one is published. So I, I, you know, I'm pretty slow 
because the, the publicity thing takes so long, you know, it, the publicity can take, you know, six months of publicity. And normally at this time of year, I would be going to a festival. Like I would have been to a festival every, every weekend during the summer um, all over the world, you know, this time, this time last year, I was just back from New Zealand um, uh, the year before I was in Canada, I was in, at the Vancouver Writers Festival, Calgary Festival. The year before that, I was in Toronto. Um, I was in, um, oh, what's the name of the town where Elvis came from in Tennessee? Memphis. Memphis. I was in Memphis. <laughs> I was in Memphis at the American Booksellers Association. So I get to travel a lot and a lot in the UK as well. I get to travel a lot, um, which is a kind of unexpected perk because, um, you know, I love traveling. I love, well, kind of the airports bit kind of can be hellish, but uh, I love to travel and um, I love to meet readers. I mean, that's my one thing is I really like meeting readers and going to festivals you get to meet them and sign their books and you know we've missed out on all that that's the thing I've really mm -hmm. missed this year mm -hmm. there, there have been no festivals um we're currently uh, we're coming out of lockdown five tomorrow which is the most severe lockdown so mm -hmm. um but they're like all the all the festivals uh were cancelled and they they would normally be in the summer anyway so I have no events absolutely no I did one live event this whole year um because my book only my book came out on the I think it was the 15th of March and the bookshops and everything else closed on the 16th so uh, it was a it was a it was a tough tough time and uh my timing in Canada wasn't being great either because uh Toronto, which I think is the biggest city, went into. Is Toronto the biggest city in Canada? Uh, without checking my facts and my stats, I, I don't want to offend anyone by saying that. I'm not entirely sure. I'd have to check. Uh, okay. Numbers on I that. Know, I know that the book came out on Tuesday, and Toronto went into lockdown on Monday. <laughs> yeah. But. Um, uh, I spent time in, in Canada in other ways. I used to work on Riverdance as a stage manager. So I was all over Canada, um, uh, although not to Montreal, but I, I've been to Ottawa, but mostly um, the kind of Pacific side of, of, of uh, so I've been to Vancouver and Calgary and Saskatoon and Regina and... Oh, gosh, uh, Edmonton. You know, I've traveled quite extensively in Canada. With, with in, the, in terms of your editing process, though, I would imagine you still have to go through that as well before you even release the book. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. No, yeah. When I say when the book is, is, is published, I mean when it's actually on the shelves, then yes. I start writing the other book. Yes, mm -hmm. yes. I, you know, I, because the, 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 the editing and the publicity takes, takes a lot out of me, to be honest. Um, um, much as I enjoy it, it's kind of exhausting as well. Do you have people that help you or, or you do it exclusively? 
No, like I, Penguin in who represent me in Ireland, uh, have a publicist for me, and um, I think if it wasn't for COVID, right now I would be in Canada uh, promoting this. Maybe with Rachel, we might be doing a you know, tour around mm-hmm. Canada. That would be great. Oh, we um, would love to have we'd love to have you person eventually <laughs> once this well, pandemic yes. is resolved. I'm writing down this invitation now. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to be there as soon as I can. I'm going to be back there. I love Canada. Mm-hmm. Um, would either of you say that the pandemic itself has influenced how you write? Um, not really. Um, no, and I'm going to, I think I'm going to avoid it in, in, in the next book I write. I mean, I have started the next book now, but mm-hmm. I think I'm, I'm going to uh, avoid it, mm-hmm. perhaps end on the, the, the rumours beginning to spread mm-hmm. something dark is about to happen, because I like mm-hmm. to end my books with something dark about to happen. Mm-hmm. But, um, you know, hopefully... You know, certainly by this time next year, the vaccines will be out there and we'll all be, you know, meeting each other and hugging each other and, mm-hmm. you know, having dinner together. Remember that? Mm-hmm. Oh, my God. Um, we've, we've had none of that like this, yeah. well, this whole, since March, really. We've had very little um, free communication or, mm-hmm. you know, it's just been so tough, so tough. Yeah, but um, I don't know. I th- I'm I'm optimistic for the future, yeah. but I don't I I don't necessarily want to delve back into it in fiction. Mm. What about you, mm. Rachel? What do you think? Well, I feel like I can't write about things when I'm in the middle of them. I have to write about them when I have some perspective on them. So I don't think I'm in a position to write a book that's set in 2020 while I'm still in 2020, and I'm like what's happening? How do I shape my day? How do I get out of bed every morning and write? So there's this amazing metaphor by, it's not mine, it's Danny Shapiro's. And she says, we're ready to write about something, not when the flames are burning, but when the ashes cool and we can touch the ashes. That's when we're ready to write about it. So 2020, still a blazing fire. The ashes are not cool. I'm not ready to touch anything. So yeah, I definitely am going to be writing a a 2020 book right now but I wouldn't be doing that anyway because I find myself always this the woman outside my door is my first published novel but I you know I've been a writer for a very long time writing stories and essays and trying to write novels and I always set my um stories a couple of years in the past I guess because I had that perspective on that time so I'm now writing a story which is set in 2018 So, and I wrote the first draft of The Woman Outside My Door in 2017 and it's set in 2014. So I'm always looking back a couple of years when I'm drafting a story because I have that perspective. I have that kind of, oh my God, 2020 vision. (laughs) I have that vision looking back where I can see the time and the era a bit more clearly and hopefully capture well. Smart cookie. I also think that, you know, by the time the whole pandemic thing is over, People are going to be so sick of it. I'm like, who's going to want to read a book about it? 
like maybe maybe I'm wrong. Maybe there's maybe I mean there's so many great opportunities for people to, you know, for intrigue and mystery and murders and you know murders under the guise of oh he had COVID and he just didn't get out of bed for a couple of days and you know and in and in at the really bad stages were were autopsies were full autopsies done when it was at its height and mm. you know you could have people having affairs and saying that they're self-isolating and yet they're having an affair with their mm-hmm. you know there's loads mm-hmm. of opportunities for stories mm-hmm. but as regards writing about the actual pandemic I leave that to the fact writers to the to the um to the non-fiction writers mm-hmm. They, they, you know, we need to, we need to sort of understand. I think the world needs to understand why this happened, um, and so that we can f- prevent it from ever happening again, or at least be ready if it ever mm-hmm. happens again. Mm-hmm. Rachel, have you decided the setting for your next novel? Well, I'm not calling it my next novel. I'm calling it the story that I hope will become my next <laughs> okay. novel. Okay. <laughs> We're all rooting for you, Rachel. Thank you. So the story that I hope will become my next novel is set in, it's set between Galway and Dublin for the moment. Um, My characters haven't gone anywhere else. Oh no, they briefly went to County Clare. So yes, they've been in Galway, Dublin and County Clare, which is kind of fun because the woman outside my door was very, very insular. And it's, a lot of it takes place in a very, tight setting of, of a house it's a very domestic noir setting there's a little house in Dublin and this wintry outside feeling and there's this contrast between the cozy little house and the cold outside but it's I wanted it to feel claustrophobic and suffocating um so it all kind of takes place in a very contained space so this time my characters are doing much more rambling around the countryside which is kind of fun Liz, uh, will the pandemic affect your writing in choosing locales? I know some authors have told us it's difficult because uh, they won't be able to travel to where they wanted to travel to, to have the material to write certain Mm -hmm. scenes Mm -hmm. for their books. Well, funny, funny thing is because, because I got to travel, you know, with, with my writing to, to festivals abroad and, you know, to teach, in in universities abroad, um, it it means that I have travelled, so I have mm-hmm. been to places so I can I can write. Um, you know, I spent a month in in Paris last year uh, as well. So I I I've got to travel a lot. So um, no, the pandemic won't affect that at all. I shouldn't think. Don't remind me, Liz. I was supposed to be in Paris last April. I could have met you there. <laughs> I can definitely um, relate to that feeling of wanting to go to a location to make it like come alive um, and, and get the detail. Like I was lucky enough that like, as Liz was saying, we're coming out of a hard lockdown now, but we had a time during the summer where things were normal-ish, emphasis on the ish, but normal-ish. So we could travel a little bit. And I went to Galway and um and then I went to Clare so it's probably not a coincidence that my characters went to Galway and Clare because those places are still vivid in my mind so yeah I I definitely feel like I need to be in a location and kind of soak up the details and have those details relatively fresh to put them back on the page 
Yeah, my my current one at the moment, I've, I'm keeping it as nebulous as possible because I don't know whether it's going to be set in. Because um, this one is for Simon. This one was commissioned first by Simon and Schuster America, and so they may want to be set in America. So I'm finding it really difficult to um, to write the book as if. It, I, I might have to move it at any moment mm -hmm. and I, I don't want to go too far into it without knowing where it is because yeah. setting, as Rachel says setting is really important mm -hmm. and you have to know exactly where you're at like if, mm -hmm. you know if it's if it's America it's certainly rural uh, probably the Midwest but hopefully a blue state and not a red state mm -hmm. Um shouldn't get political there but um I, I i don't know i uh i i if it was said in ireland it would probably be somewhere like roscommon and it's mm -hmm. very very rural and mm -hmm. set in the, kind of the middle of nowhere but the middle of nowhere in ireland is very different to the middle of nowhere in in america because um ireland is tiny so mm -hmm. you're never more than oh you you would never be more than 20 miles away from a shop would you Rachel mm -hmm. I don't think so no you know, I don't think so and mm -hmm. you know my husband did a big drive across America a couple of years ago and he said he drove you know for three or four hours without passing another car you know America's the middle of America is so vast mm -hmm. so it can't be that can't be that rural, so mm -hmm. I really, need to, I really need to sort that out with my with the Simon Schuster in America and see like where where do you want this? <laughs> mm -hmm. That must Ladies. be such. Oh, sorry. I, I'm sorry, Rachel. <laughs> Rachel and I are talking to each other now. You guys can go home. I'm sorry. I'm so sorry. Rachel, please, please go. I'm sorry. I didn't mean to, to step in. Oh, my God. No, I'm just such a blabbermouth. I will chat, chat, <laughs> chat. And I'm just going to jump in and say, oh, my God, that's so challenging. Like, it must be incredibly difficult to write character and plot and try to keep the setting sort of um, anonymous almost. And But, yeah, I, I'm just, you can't shut me up once I get going. <laughs> We're Irish. We, we have the gift of the gab. Sorry. <laughs> Well, my, my roots are Irish, but I would have to ask my mother to know exactly where in Ireland. I see a question now that just popped up in the chat. Uh, the question is, does the Irish language play any role in your novels? That's such a good... Liz, do you want to go first? <laughs> I jumped in. You go first. Sorry, I've interrupted enough. You go first. <laughs> um... Yeah, it's interesting. I think about that a lot. And I think about whether or not to weave in little words here or there. Um, and I might do it a bit more in my next novel because, I mean, the Irish language is quite complicated. Um, not a lot of people speak it as, very few people speak it as a first language. And um, a lot of people in Ireland um, don't speak it or don't speak it very well. So I do speak it, um, not amazingly well, but I grew up speaking it in school and I, I uh I used to be fluent and it's quite rusty now because I don't use it, but bits of bits of Irish, bits of Gaelga 
um, do jump out of my head sometimes and onto the page. And I have been considering leaving more little Irish words in the next one because, um, yeah, I love the Irish language. I think it's really beautiful. And, uh, and I love hearing it woven into um, kind of uh, Irish vernacular. Yeah. Um, I, 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 I don't really use the Irish language as such because um, nobody would understand it. Like nobody outside of Ireland would understand it and few enough people inside of Ireland would understand it. But Irish vernacular, when it's translated into English, can be quite fun. So if, for example, if you were to say uh, somebody was being attended to by the doctor, you would say the literal translation would be, She's in bed with the doctor, <laughs> which means she's sick and the doctor has visited. But, you know, that kind of Irish idiomatic language can be fun, can be fun mm-hmm. to use, you know. So, yeah, I, with, with the rural characters, with um, Barney in particular in um, in Unraveling Oliver in my first book, uh, had a lot of that, a lot of those turns of phrase. But these three characters in Little Cruelties are more city slickers, you know. <laughs> Liz, you mentioned um, uh, a few comments ago about when uh, the book gets commissioned from your publisher. Do they uh, set down any other guidelines for you? I'm just curious. Or is it really just they commission you for a novel and you you get free reign of what it is you want to write, what you want to put on the paper, you have infinite number of time to write it. They they want um they want something uh they don't want me to, you know they don't want me suddenly to write um a romantic comedy or whatever because I have built my reputation on writing <laughs> um books that are dark and and sinister and funny. Yes. <laughs> um, but uh. They so what they want is something more along the same lines. So I can't just go off and write something. I, I mean I do I do have quite a funny bone. So I wrote a play, um, but now all the theatres are closed. So it's probably won't won't get won't get performed until 2022. But that's that's a that's a almost a farce. It's a comedy, all out comedy. Um um yeah so I can't I can't wait to sort of exercise my funny bones in that way um but because I can put some of it into the into the into the books but often I get a note back saying to less funny more dark oh no (laughs) so the play will give you another avenue to sort of explore that be great yeah because nobody has any expectations from me as a playwright so mm-hmm. I can I can do something completely different. It's quite a freedom. Ladies, I see a question coming in. Um, I will try to allow this person to speak one moment. Hello, Lydia. Hi. I think Lydia has to unmute herself. One moment. Lydia, are you with us? She's muted. She is. 
audio. Hello. Hi, Hi everyone. Oh, hi. hi. I could cry because it's been a really rough time for me. Oh, I'm sorry. And uh, Liz and Rachel, I will definitely read the books. Daniel, thank you for inviting me. You're it's, welcome, Lydia. Thank you for coming. You know, Liz, I have so I have siblings like you. I have five sisters, one brother, but I have none near me. So it's really hard. And with this COVID, I don't get to go to see Danielle and Justin and the gang at Coach St. Luke. Jennifer, I've never seen you up there, but I'm sure we've spoken. Um, I always wanted to write a book because it's a bit emotional for me. I want to write a book. I've been through hell and back. Okay. From day one, since I was a child, at one and a half, I was burnt. And from there on, I just kept going and fighting through the storms of life. Okay. And, and now I am totally alone and it's gonna be alone until I go back to wherever I came from when God's ready. So I'd like to write this book because it could be a very good lesson for a lot of people, what I've been through mm -hmm. and where I am today. And I'll never sink, I'll keep swimming. And Liz, mm -hmm. I think I've seen you at the St. Patrick's with the river dance. I believe you many, many years ago, you were at the St. Patrick's. I um, were you? Yeah, but what city was that? It was downtown Montreal. No, I was never in Montreal. Not my okay. show. Like Riverdance was lots of there was there was lots of different Riverdance shows happening at the same time. So yes. my show wasn't. But Lydia, can I just say to you, um, yes. do write that book. And you know what? If you go to the library, there are lots of groups in the library that you can you can join and make friends yeah. with. So don't ever feel that you're alone when you have a library. Because librarians um, are brilliant at organizing events and, uh, well, I'm speaking for you. You can, I'm sure you can um, explain <laughs> yourselves, but um, libraries are great places to meet people and go to book events. And I know it's hard at the moment because you can't see people because of COVID. Mm -hmm. Don't ever feel that you're alone. Not while you have libraries and librarians and to escape to. Liz, you know what? It's I wanted to know how should I start? Should I start from a childhood or should I go backwards and start from now and go back there? This is what I am I'm struggling with because I had wonderful things happen to me. Great career, great careers. Wow. Um, um I I think I'd probably go chronologically and start at the beginning. And then and then, you know, when when you're finished. You can look at it and then I would take the most exciting, exciting part and put that at the front. Yeah, and then you can this. and then you can lead up to that and yeah. play consequences afterwards. How yes, about that? that sounds great, Rachel. What do you think? Yeah, I think that's really, really good advice. Um and I think for me when I'm writing down my life experiences, which I do in my personal time, um I find that when I've written them down, they take shapes that I wasn't expecting. So I mm -hmm. think if, if you start writing it and you see the way it comes out in the page, it will tell you how it needs to be told. Because um, it's very, I love writing about my personal life, even though I never share it with anyone. I, 
I don't publish it anywhere um, or only once in my life if I published a personal essay, but I love writing my own story. So I completely understand that feeling of wanting to get your story down on the page. It's really, it's really emotionally healthy. So I think it's a great thing to want to do with your time. That's exactly what I thought too. And I'm not afraid because I was afraid in the past of, of even admitting what's happened to me and mm-hmm. what has happened to me. And my doctor told me, no, I'm sorry. I've known you for years since you were a young person. I've known you. She's been my family doctor forever here in Cote St. Luke, actually. I, I moved from that city, but I had to go back there because she knew me best. And mm-hmm. she said, Lydia, this is your new normal. I went through the worst. I went through the worst love relationship. That was after five years, reunited after 19 years. And he's just such, he became a pastor. And I said, how could my life? So we went, I went, well, it, my mom died and, and he, we went back together. Make, make it a long story short. And he just ruined my life. Mm-hmm. And I'm alone now. I, I had to run away from the house. I had to hide myself. He took the car away from me. Lydia, Lydia, <laughs> can I just suggest something? That you don't, maybe you don't share too many personal details about your own life here right now. <laughs> but you write them down. Save them for the page. Because the page okay. is long right now. <laughs> And yeah. you know you can you can talk to therapists and you can talk to counselors ah. or whatever you need, but I think putting them down on the page is the most important thing. Okay, I, I agree with you, Liz. But all my life, what I have been doing is hiding stuff, and yeah. I find it has become worse at times for me. But now that I've spoken to the best therapists and the best people who are looking after me now and who are following my health. I am not afraid to speak the truth because I can help another human being from going mm. through what I went through. And I That's get your so point. Funny. Yes, mm-hmm. because you know what? My book is going to be a hit. So you're right. I'll shut up. <laughs> and I will take you girls' advice and I will start writing that book. But I'm physically going to write that book, pencil to paper. Sure. I, I think it will be great do. for you because when you're putting Yes, thank you, ladies, so much. Good for you. Thank you so much. I feel because when I speak, I feel lighter. Every day I'm better for me. I'm better for another human being. And I'm always going to be a kind, gentle soul caring Mm -hmm. for the world. Because every time I pray, I pray for the entire world. I cannot be selfish. I pray for everyone in this world. And I say, Lord, for every human, every animal, every every plant and every um, tree, it's important because there are people in this world who would live under a tree on the earth until death. They'll never see a bed. So I'm fortunate. I feel blessed still. Thank you very much, Lydia, for for sharing with us. Yes, Danielle. Um, Thank you for coming to the event and thank you for taking Liz and Rachel's advice and all the best with your novel. Now I'm going to go back to close the event for a moment. Uh, Thank you, Lydia. Okay. Thank you, Danielle. Thank you. Thanks, ladies.
So everyone, I would like to say a huge thank you uh, one last time to both Irish writers, um, Rachel Ryan and Liz Nugent. So Jen and I were reading their books and interviewing them. Rachel's book is The Woman Outside My Door. And Liz's book, Liz Nugent, is Little Cruelties. Uh, you can put your name for either of them at the library. And uh, we are promising you'll enjoy them. And we wish you both all the best. And we're so happy you were able to join us today, this afternoon for us and this evening for you. And of course, uh, this was a genuine invitation. When things get back to normal, we would love for you, if ever you want to come to Canada, to come to Montreal and speak to us in person. That would be amazing. Thank you so much for us. Thank you. That was a lovely, lovely conversation. And it was, it was, it was lovely to to meet you all and a thank you to Angela who's been doing all the techie things behind the scenes <laughs> that we were all seen but thank, thank you, you Angie and Danielle and lovely to meet you Rachel I hope I see you soon in real life I know thank you so much thank you Danielle thank you ladies and thank, thank you Simon and Schuster <laughs> bye-bye